I want to make you aware of uh, two weeks from today, it's Mother's Day, it's uh, March 8th, but at 9 o'clock in room 107 and 108, I'm going to host a baptism class. I've not had one of these in about a year and a half, but anyone here who is interested in baptism uh, for yourself or someone else, you want to be better prepared and equipped to talk to others about it, maybe it's something you've been thinking about, would love for you to come, bring friends. So on March 8th, Mother's Day at 9 o'clock. I'm going to host that class. You'll hear more about it next week. I want to invite our friend Marla, if you will come and join us, as well as Marla, whoever the woman is, who's joining you on stage this morning. You guys come on up. Can we give them a sycamore view welcome as they join us on stage? So good to see you, Marla. Glad you're here. Uh, Marla, I want to begin with you. Marla uh, is, you actually just became the director of operations at Agape. You've been at Agape for a while. Love your heart, your passion. I'm always fearful when you come here because I think you're going to take my job from me. You are so, a woman so full of the, the presence of God. Anytime I'm around you, I just feed off your energy. Hey, I got two questions that we've asked the other five groups and ministries that have been here over the last few weeks, and we'd love for you to speak into these in front of the church. One, just give us a way that we can connect with Agape in the, maybe the near future, and give us something we can be praying for, too. Yes, sir. Uh, well, thank you, Sycamore View, for having us here. We are just overwhelmed and always grateful to be here in the presence of the Lord and to worship with our Sycamore View family. Josh says that because he knows my daddy was a Baptist preacher, and I will get up here and stay here a while if you let me. <laughs> <laughs> but for the sake of time today, um, I think I've only ever shared this with Julie. When I first started at Agape in 2012, I made the mistake of saying, oh, I work for Agape, it's a housing program. I stopped doing that about my 20th day in because FIT is not a housing program, it's a ministry. It's a pouring of life into life. It's a walking alongside, and it's a two-way street, y'all. It is a two-way street. It's a reciprocal process. And I tell you, I think sometimes I get more from the FIT families than they get ever from me or, or the agency. But because of that, there is room for every person, every heart to participate in the FIT ministry. Whether you are a retired human resources professional, come out and join us in a life skills class. Come facilitate a life skills class about uh, how to prepare a resume, how to interview properly, uh, how to work through those nerves during the interview process. Or uh, if we have a women's group or a Sunday school class, we know right now that we are already at a deficit of about 300 backpacks for children going to school next school year. You often hear David say, for Agape and our school-based effort, school starts June 1. We start June 1st. And so right now, today, we already know that we're short on school supplies. So you can participate and fit that way. We have service projects. If you have a group or a team that wants to come out and help with apartment get ready for fit families, we welcome you to do that. Uh, or adopt a fit unit. Fit is a ministry that is so unique in this city. I claim it's the best. Uh, because we provide apartment units that are fully furnished to the families that come and participate in the FIT 
program in the FIT ministry. So you can partner with us in that way as well. Um, Josh asks something that you can pray for. You heard me reference that two-way street earlier. Think of it maybe from a transportation or engineering standpoint. On that two-way street, I encounter stop signs, bumps in the road, or even take and imagine for a moment. I'm at this 240-40 exchange, and I don't know which way to go. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. I'm at a standstill almost. Well, sometimes, y'all, in life, that's what, that, that's what happens. And so every day, I ask that you pray for every single fit mom and fit child, fit team member. Um, I was so blessed as a child. I had an idyllic childhood. My dad used to walk me to school every day. And on the way to school, he used to pray with me. One of the prayers, uh, before we pray, he would say, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And so I ask that you please pray for us without ceasing. Pray for us. Pray us through the danger seen and unseen. Pray us through helping to lead a children, a, a generation of children into the future so that they know they have a future and a hope in that future. So again, it's from my heart that I say thank you this morning. I have to tell you that Josh has spoken so much into my life. He knows what I'm talking about. Sometimes couldn't make it without you, brother, and I'm grateful for you. The entire FIT ministry is grateful for all of Sycamore View, and we thank you. Thank you, Marla. Do, do you care which mic? Okay. <clears throat> I asked one of our. Uh, yeah, I asked one of our FIT mothers to read Romans eight, a few verses over us this morning. Before you do, I would. Can I have our FIT uh, staff? FIT is our families in transition program. Can FIT staff? Will you stand, or just the Agape staff who are here this morning? Will you stand where you are? Yeah, we are. <clears throat> you need the body? Uh, I'm sorry, remain standing. Remain standing. <clears throat> I told you this in the Devo when I was there a couple of weeks ago. And you were in the trenches. You were touching lives. You have days where there's a lot to celebrate and days where you probably go home confused and wondering if you're making any difference. And I want you to know what I want our church to know too, or on those days when you aren't sure if any seeds are being planted, know that God is at work. And I hope you can rest in confidence that God is moving and working through you. I want you to remain standing. I want to ask for all of our fit families. We have some of our mothers who are here. If you're able to, will you stand where you are? I'm so glad you guys joined us this morning, all of you. <clears throat> I'm so thankful for you. And here's what I want our fit families to know this morning. Is there, there may be days where you feel like other people look at you like a project. And what I want you to know is that when God looks at you, he sees an instrument that he is using to advance his kingdom in the world you have a purpose, a calling. God is pulling you out of some uh, really tough, awful situations, some circumstances, 
and he is filling you and equipping you to be mighty women of God in the future. And we're so grateful for you. So I want to ask if you're comfortable for our agape families, if you could just hold your hands up maybe where you are, and I want you to be able to receive these, this scripture that is being read over you. I want to ask for the Sycamore View family this morning. Some of you, you may be in need of the blessing of God to come upon your life today, and maybe you can open your hands where you are, or if you are comfortable, will you just extend a hand, because all of us can't move to our agape team this morning. Will you just extend a hand over them as the word of God is read uh, this morning? Who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your, sake, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Can we pray together? Can you bow your heads? God, my prayer today uh, is that I will be uh, forgettable but that Jesus will be lifted up as he already has this morning, but he will be lifted up as unforgettable, that people may go home and not remember things I've said, but I pray that they can go home today remembering an encounter they had with you. God, if I speak anything over the next few minutes that doesn't line up with your heart, your mission, your character, your nature, may those words fall to the ground. May they not be remembered. May they be trampled under your feet. But if I speak a word this morning that is true to who you are and what your mission is, may those be words that establish themselves in our hearts, establish roots. May they be words that will mess with people, inspire people to go deeper and deeper into your kingdom. Through Christ we pray. Amen. If you don't have your Bibles open to Romans 8, please do. We're in the fourth week of a series that, that I have called Arise. We're talking about the power of the resurrection and that what God did for Jesus is what God wants to do for us. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 is where I want to begin. I want you to, as I read, and you'll see it on the screen, hopefully you have it in front of you, I want you to see how many times creation is mentioned and how many times groans or groaning is mentioned. All right, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor, uh, labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Did you notice how many times it talks about creation or groaning? Now, for those of you who are environmentalists, this is the place where you stand on, that God is redeeming all of creation. And for those of you who may think that some of the environmental, uh, uh, the, the, the agenda out there uh, is false and a myth, I just hope all of us can be on the same page today that what Paul is saying is the groans that come from your life 
are the groans that come from creation too. Because all of us were impacted in Genesis 3 by the fall. Not just humanity, but that's even when creation was cursed. It's when creation knew that the ground was never going to be the same again. So all creation, everything in our world is groaning for some kind of redemption. Are you able to even hear what a groan like that sounds like, what it means? Because today there are people, there are children in our city, there are children in the 901 who are groaning, not knowing where their weekend meal will come from. That There are groans coming from parents who have buried children. There are groans from children all over the 901 who will go to bed tonight with a father who is absent or a dad who is, whose body is present but who is emotionally detached. There's groans that are being lifted up from people even in this room who are experiencing all forms of loneliness and depression. There are groans because marriages have crumbled. And Paul says all creation is groaning and we're groaning inwardly. So creation's groan matches our groan because all of us are groaning for something better, anticipating something better. Did you notice Paul even said groaning like labor pains? Because there are a few times where Paul talks about, like uses the image of, Women giving birth. And in heaven, I think there's going to be a long line of people, and they're not going to be angry because I don't think you're going to be angry in heaven. But they're going to ask Paul, like, dude, why all these, uh, why all these metaphors you're using about giving birth when you never had to do that? Um, I've had two kids. I didn't give birth to them. My wife did. There are times where I um, actually made jokes, like I would uh, get a paper cut or stump my toe and I would be in pain, and I would look at Casey and say, that must be like what it feels like to carry a baby for nine months, all right? And there are times where Casey thinks I'm the funniest person in the world, and let's just say there are times where she does not. You know what I'm saying? I can remember when we were in the hospital room having our second child. It's the only time I've ever heard Casey tell another man other than her father and her brothers that she loves them. And it was the man who gave her that shot, that epidural, and she looked up at him, and she said, I don't know your name, I don't know your story, I don't know who you are, I just want you to know, I love you. (laughs) And this dude looked at me, and he's like, I get that all the time, man, all the time. (laughs) And maybe you've never had a baby, maybe you've never been in a room where babies have been born, but there are labor pains and there are sounds that come with labor pains. I mean, when we had our second kid, at one point, Casey made such a loud noise, I actually woke up, all right? Um, (laughs) I'm totally joking, all right? I'm joking. But you've probably at least seen movies or something. You know what he's talking about. So there are these labor pains. Here's something I want you to know about groans and moans and sighs that come from our heart today. Number one is that you offer these up and it's not a sign of weakness. It's because there's pain in your life. That sometimes all we had to offer up in prayer to God are groans. They aren't even words. It's because there is pain in your life. But the other reason we offer up groans and moans and sighs is because we're anticipating something better that is coming from the future into our present. You groan because they are honest expressions of pain and ache in your life. And you also groan because we're anticipating the day where God's going to reset everything that has gone wrong. Uh, her name is uh, Barbara, um, Barbara Holmes. She wrote a book a while back, and in the book, she talks about 
this common universal language that was developed in the years of slavery uh, when Africans were getting on, placed on ships, forced on ships, and were coming over across the Atlantic. And she says the language that emerged there is a language called the moan. Because what happened is they were being forced onto these ships. And all these Africans, they didn't come from the same place. They were from different cultures, different tribes. They spoke different languages. In fact, captains of ships would often put them next to someone who they knew they didn't speak the same language. But what they didn't know is that there was this common universal language that was developing as those ships were coming across the Atlantic, which is often called the, uh, the bitter waves, the bitter ocean. Uh, because not just because of the ocean and the sea, but because of the trauma, where people are being placed on ships who were not people anymore, they were looked at as property. And as they were on the, those ships, chained together, down in the bows on the bottom of those ships, just, I mean, person against person, for days and days, there was this language of the moan. Then when waves would hit and ships would go up and over waves, there was, this, there was this sound that would come from one another, and it was a sound that had no words, but it began to have deep meaning because there was this connection, this moan, this groan that was coming from them. And Barbara Holmes would go on to say, this is, this is the language of somebody articulating something that has no voice. What they were doing is they were offering of this utterance of choice when circumstances had snatched the words from their lips. It was this utterance of choice when circumstances have snatched the prayers from their lips. It was the articulation of unspeakable fear. And where we hear this today, and I've met with a lot of my my black friends, where we hear this moan today is a lot of times in African-American funerals, they begin when the grandmother or the, the, the matriarch of the family offers up some kind of moan. Hmm. And then like silence comes over the room. This is the, this is the sound you hear in some funerals or in worship services or in songs or in prayers when people are praying in agreement with one another or in sermons when people are responding with just some kind of groan or moan or sigh that there was a connection that is taking place. This is the sound you hear in some hip-hop songs with Jay-Z or Lecrae. It's this sound, this universal sound of groaning. And you know who understands the language of groan, the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit birthed it and gave it. And you hear this today from girls who, are found, who find themselves in brothels. You hear this language from parents who have faced miscarriages, those who are beaten down by oppression and injustice, and by all craving the future hope that is to come. I don't know if you knew, but this is, uh, this is Sexual um, Assault Awareness Month. In the church, we really struggle how to talk about this because what do you want to do as a preacher? Do you want to have people stand who are suffering from this because there are people in our churches every week who are sitting next to or right somewhere close by someone who may be abusing them? But every Sunday in this room, there were dozens and dozens of people who sit in pews having suffered from some form of sexual assault. And I think we give voice together as a church today that we're asking for the healing power of God to come upon lives. And that there's an ache that can be hurt from the hearts of people. And here's here's the deal. Whenever we ask for the holy ache of God to be in us, to hear the ache of the world, do we know what we're asking for? 
Because the way Jesus launched the church years ago was that the church was equipped to listen for the aches in the world where people are disconnected from God, and they did not pull a Jonah where they would run from the ache, but they would run into the ache because they had what people needed. Uh, Whenever I'm on an airplane and it starts to get really noisy because maybe there's a kid who's loud, do you know what I usually do? I take my earbuds and I put them in because I want to drown out the noise. If I'm working in a coffee shop and it's getting too loud, I can do the same thing. If I'm in my house and my two boys are getting too loud, I can do the same thing. I take earbuds, I put them in to drown out the noise. I don't know if you heard this story. Years ago in World War II, there was a time when um, this church was located right next to a railway. And every Sunday morning, there would be this train that would come by where they were worshiping, and it was carrying people who were being sent to a concentration camp. And the church knew it. And whenever that train would come by, they could hear the sounds and the cries of people, people crying out for help. And these people in the church were good people, and I'm sure they wanted to help. But in the moment, do you know what they would do Sunday after Sunday when they heard that train coming? Is They would begin to sing louder just to drown out the noise because they did not know what else to do. When you hear the ache or the groans in our world, what do we do? Do we, do we just sing louder, crank up K-Love, or ask God, how do we get involved? What do we do? Romans 8 begins with this. Now there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could never do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What it says is that Jesus came to deal with sin. He came to deal with sin and he came to Uh, condemn sin so that we could be set free. And therefore, we get freedom songs and liberation songs, and this means something to us. When we come together in this room, it shapes how we pray and how we sing and how we leave this place to engage our context. When I'm with other churches or I'm asked to go and consult with leaderships, a lot of times... Um, questions they have is, what does it mean to be a church who wants to live for its community? And one of the things I'll often tell them is, you have to be aware of the main reasons the police are called to intercede in your community. Like, what are the aches that are out there? And how does the gospel inform what we do? I think everyone needs to be aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly in whatever city and whatever context you're living in. What are the events that have shaped who we are? And this is why it's good for me to go back and look at so much of the history of Memphis. And a lot of times, and six years ago, I remember I told you about in 1878, there was a yellow fever epidemic that hit our city. It was the worst epidemic, yellow fever epidemic in the United States. It killed more people than the San Francisco earthquake, the Chicago fire, and the Johnston flood combined. Over 20,000 people in the Mississippi Valley lost their lives in 1878. And it was September 11th when a fog 
came over our city, this uh, almost cold front, but it was a fog that started to finally calm things down. And on September 11, 1978, there were ministers and churches who were praising God for sending a fog. In 1878, Memphis was destined for greatness. We were on the road to become one of the best cities in the U.S. We had around 50,000 people who lived here. Uh, we had become a center of trade. Uh, and we, were the lar- we had the largest inland cotton industry in all of the U.S. Over 360,000 bales of cotton every year uh, would be uh, put together and sold right here. Now, with, with cotton also meant something else, right? Slavery. Where just a few miles from where we're worshiping today, there were a thousand slaves who were sold right down by the Mississippi River every year for a number of years. Uh, we were we are also known as one of the medical hubs of the U.S. Where, I mean, the North in the Civil War used hospitals, in Memphis, and not just that. We were known for doing great research for malaria and yellow fever and other things that were coming into the U.S. We were also a city known for filth. Because we didn't have a good sewer system. And when the waters and rains would come, it would often just leave the streets downtown covered with horse manure and and garbage. And it would just pile up on street corners. And did you know that back in the 1870s, we had what New Orleans ended up taking as Mardi Gras. Now, I don't know if this is something we should brag about or not, okay? Just let it be known the Memphis was a place where people wanted to come to celebrate a really good festival. Now, New Orleans wouldn't admit this, but it's on the record that they were sending up spies to see how we were doing our stuff so that they could go and do their stuff. Uh, over that time, uh, whenever we would have our festival, over 10,000 people would come. This is back in the 70s, 1870s. Over 10,000 people would come to Memphis by horse and buggy to experience this festival. And in 1878, we knew how to throw a party. One time, the president of the United States even came to our party. And over 40,000 people would gather downtown for days for this huge festival. There would be fireworks. They would fill the court square fountain with champagne. There were 40-foot floats. And I say all that because in 1878, they had just had this festival which left trash and manure and garbage everywhere. And we had a drought, one of the worst droughts Memphis has ever had. And there was a ship called the Souter that had left Africa. It was on its way up the Mississippi River. And whenever the ships got to New Orleans, they were stopped and they were inspected because if yellow fever was found on that ship, it was to be quarantined for two weeks so that they could scrub it clean so it wouldn't come up the Mississippi making other people sick and starting some epidemic. And when the Souter came to New Orleans in 1878, when they was inspected, they found that two of people on the crew had died of yellow fever. But they knew that it was carrying supplies, ivory and salt and, and gold and things like that from Africa. And there were deadlines that that stuff had to arrive at certain places. And if it didn't, there were fees. So in New Orleans, they wrote it off as another form of disease that killed them. And they sent the ship up the Mississippi. And it went and landed right here in Memphis. We had just had our festival. There's garbage and manure everywhere. It hadn't rained in weeks to wash away some of the filth, so everything was right for an epidemic to break out. Now, most of you, I don't know if anyone in here has ever had yellow fever. You do not want me to go into details. 
I could just let you know that often temperature rises around 110 degrees. The body, you become uh, disillusional. You don't really know what's going on. But one thing with yellow fever is when yellow fever is in a mosquito, which is the only way it could travel, uh, mosquitoes were attracted to the flailing of arms. So the more uh, motions you make to get rid of mosquitoes, the more mosquitoes are attracted to you. All it takes is for one mosquito to bite your body, to put yellow fever in you, and the next mosquito that bites you, there's a good chance they will get it so you can see how an epidemic could break out. Within five days in 1878, when yellow fever came to our city, within five days, 25,000 of the 47,000 people left. If you had money, you were on your horse, you were on your buggy, you were on foot, 25,000 people within five days were gone from the city, leaving roughly 20,000 people who stayed. And of the 20,000 people who stayed, 18,000 of them had yellow fever. The people who stayed behind, a lot of them were the poor who couldn't afford to leave. And you also had nurses and priests and doctors and African-Americans. And what was so ironic is the blacks began to serve the whites because the blacks seemed to be immune from yellow fever. But did you know every European country who participated in the slave trade ended up having a yellow fever epidemic breakout where they were? Over 5,000 people in Memphis lost their lives. A thousand nurses, around 33 doctors, a number of priests, a number of other people, a lot of them buried in Elmwood Cemetery. And about that time, there was a guy named George Waring, this great, uh, he was just a creative dude, and he had come up with this new sewer system. And when he heard and saw the devastation in Memphis, Tennessee, he decided to make Memphis the place where he wanted to install his new sewer system. So he came and helped clean up the city, install a sewer system, kill many of the homes for the mosquitoes, and then other cities began coming to Memphis to learn how to install sewer systems where they were from too. And you may wonder, why, why are you telling this? Like, why is this important? And I think it's important for this reason. Because some of you in here, you're not from Memphis, you're traveling through town, maybe you don't even care about this context, but many of us here, we do. And we believe God wants us to stand for something in this city, which means I think it's important for us to know how we have been dealt blows, yet how people continue to get up and to press on and to press forward and to fight for what we believe is good. Because Memphis Grizzlies aren't just the only ones who know how to grit and grind. They may have defined it. They may have made the term popular and famous, and hey, in an hour, I hope the Memphis Grizzlies are gritting and grinding and doing all that down at the FedEx Forum trying to get a win. But what, what I want us to know is that as well as the Memphis Grizzlies should grit and grind, the church should be gritting and grinding better than anyone in the world, rolling up our sleeves and pressing into any place in our communities and in our context where there is an ache that is hungering for the redemption of God. In Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 18, I want you to take this home. Some of you can put it up on your mirror somewhere. It says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed in us. It's this declaration that whatever I am suffering from in my life right now, what I know is that the future glory of God is coming in and is going to reset all that is hurting and aching and breaking. And for some of you, you are not in need of this clear image of what that future glory is like. You just need a glimpse of it. 
Just a light, just knowing that there is a beam that is coming in that is breaking in. William Willimon said he had a friend back in the Cold War who traveled over to Russia. And he went over there to search out the churches because they were living in an atheistic society. So he went over there to look to see how Christianity was doing in the middle and the height of the Cold War. And this guy came back to William Willimon. He came back to the States and he said, the church in Russia is not relevant because the only thing that is left are little old ladies. And you go over to Russia now and you know what you have? Crumbling statues of Stalin. Yet the church goes on. Because any time it seems like the church or the kingdom of God has its back up against the wall, you better watch out for resurrection power to break loose. And in large part, it is because of little old ladies who may be quiet, but they're women of prayer, women of determination, women of God, who are set on being these really quiet kingdom revolutionaries. It's Philip Yancey who says that God still looks at the church as the primary way to establish God's presence in the world. And in part, it's because of little old ladies who kept doing what they do. And you know what I want to tell the world? There are days like this morning where I want to tell the world, you better watch out for agape fit moms. That when they live into the fullness of Romans 8.18, that their present suffering is not worth comparing to the future glory that is on its way. And they will know that in just a few years, there is this force coming from them because the power of God has invaded them. What I want the world to know is that for the people who come into this church week after week who are suffering from loneliness and broken relationships and you feel like your hope is hanging on by a thread, what I want the world to know is watch out for those kind of people because when you experience the redemption and the restoration of God, the stories that are going to be flowing from you of the abiding presence of God are going to go on to plant seeds and establish fruits and advance the kingdom in ways we may never be able to even uh, comprehend. So um, you may not be a sports lover, and that's okay. I just want you to follow me with this story. In 2011, when the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship, they won the championship playing against the Miami Heat in Miami. They were separated by 1,400 miles. So there's the American Airlines Center in Miami where the game was being played. And there was the American Airlines Center in Dallas where 20,000 fans got together to watch the game on a screen. So the game's being played in Miami, yet there are 20,000 Dallas fans who are cheering on their team 1,400 miles away in the American Airlines Center where the, team, the game's not even being played. Yet if you saw video of them in the stands, you would have thought they were right there in the middle of the action cheering on their favorite players and the blue and white is they're given everything they have. And I wonder at any moment if the Dallas Mavericks in Miami had a thought of all the fans who would gather to the cheer for them miles away. Because church, we're gathered here today. And I believe there are angels in the host of heaven and people who have gone before us who are rolling up their sleeves and cheering us on and rooting us on to live into the fullness of the redemption of God. And this is not something we have to wait for one day when we die. It's something that's coming now.
So what do we do when we hear the aches of the world? Because the last few weeks we've talked about, I mean, if you're here today, if you're serving in the 901 for the offering, will you go ahead and go to the back and, and get the trace? And in just a moment, we're going to have our special 901 offering. For the last few weeks, you've heard us from this stage. We've given you prayers to pray. We've talked to you about, and in so many ways, what all six of these ministries and groups do is they are helping us to be attuned to the aches of the world. And, and the calling of the Sycamore View Church today is that we are giving money to support how the kingdom of God is growing and advancing. Yet we don't just want to be a church that is giving money. We want to give our lives to the money we give, right? So next week, we're having a restore day. We'll have a worship service like we always do. And after our worship service next Sunday, we're going to be going out to serve in the very places where we're giving today. But there's an ache that is coming from children all over our community. And we're thankful for agape and handprints. There are aches that are coming from, uh, from who Hope Works is serving and helping people who have uh, done time in jails and prisons and maybe folks who haven't graduated before to have a GD and to have job training. There are aches that are coming from ministers and and professors going through HST so they can be equipped of how to go and prepare the church for works of service. Um, And from SOMA, for college students, there are these aches coming from them to be people who grow up to be mature. So right now, I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to think of one of the ministries or efforts that we are giving to now And I want you just to take a moment to lift them up to God, asking for his kingdom to come in that place and through them as it is in heaven. And God, all of this is because of Jesus, because of what you have accomplished because of how you have invited us to be partners with you in unleashing resurrection power all over this world, which begins right here in our home. May these offerings and these gifts go to advance your kingdom. And may they go to plant seeds in which stories will come from them that we may never hear about. And help us to be okay with that because we can go to bed at night knowing that we are investing our lives, our resources, and all that we are in the life of the kingdom. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. We'll have an offering and let's sing this song together. Surely children were made.